The Rural Health Voice, Episode 100, Governance versus Politics. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Because this is our 100th episode, we are celebrating by doing something a little different. Many of the regulations our rural hospitals and clinics follow were created by Congress, which means it takes a literal act of Congress to change those regulations. Instead of interviewing someone who is an expert at some aspect of rural health, our guest today is Jennifer Briney, host of the Congressional Dish podcast, to talk about how Congress operates and how you can make a difference in how those regulations are updated. Well, welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you taking your time from your trip to Mexico to be on this podcast. Now, you have a podcast of your own called Congressional Dish. How would you describe it? So I like to say that my podcast is more about government. People assume that because it's about Congress, it's about politics, but I'm fascinated about what government does. So I pay attention to what happens after the election. So I read bills and laws. I watch all kinds of fascinating hearings, and I let you know what Congress is doing with your money and in your name. So you talked about politics versus governance. What is the difference? I consider politics to be the campaigns, right? Who's collecting the most money, the horse race, what they say, as opposed to what they do. Because there's, I I think covering government is a little bit harder because you have to read documents and you have to, you can't take people at their word. Um, I have found that out many times that what they tell you they put in legislation is actually sometimes quite different from what it actually is. And so I think that's the difference is paying attention to actions within the institution as opposed to what people say in order to win the job. Now, when I tell people about Congressional Dish, I tell them that you read bills and watch congressional hearings and translate them into English. Yeah. <laughs> why, why does Congress need translation? Well, you know, they, in these bills, they're not easy to read. They're not put into English. So a lot of times they're editing previous laws. And again, like I said, because of politics, a lot of times they're not accurately portraying what these bills and laws do. And then there's also just what I like to call Congress speak, right? Where they'll use um, abbreviations and terms that people don't understand. And so my goal with Congressional Dish is to tell people what's going on at a seventh grade level, essentially. So if my 13-year-old niece can't understand what I'm talking about, then I don't feel like I'm doing my job properly. And while I do give analysis of what I find in these bills and laws, I'm also trying to do it from a perspective of someone who doesn't really care about the party politics. I want to know how their actions are affecting us in our day-to-day lives. Because sometimes the what they do affects us quite directly, especially in our wallets and our bank accounts. So um, yeah, that's my goal is to make it more accessible. And you've done several episodes on some aspect of healthcare, the PACT Act, the Women's Health Protection Act. Is there an episode in health that stands out for you? I mean, the Affordable Care Act episode, because it's still the law of the land. So that I did a long time ago. I want to say it was during the shutdown of 2013. 
because at the time the Republicans were trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And so I wanted to understand what exactly about it they found so objectionable. And unfortunately, what they found objectionable was that the insurance companies had rules placed on them. But that still informs so much of everything else I study in relation to healthcare, because that is what's governing our entire system. So without understanding the Affordable Care Act, you can't really understand the details that are happening now and why they're happening. Because what I'm witnessing now is insurance companies and PBMs and all these different parts of healthcare system, in order to maximize their profits, they're looking at the Affordable Care Act and trying to figure out how do we get around these rules. And so that's why I feel like that's such a foundational episode. Um, and not much has changed since then. So even though it's a it's an old episode, that is the most essential one I've ever done on healthcare. Great. And we'll make sure that we put links to this in the show notes so people can look them up. You know, my understanding is that when you first started Congressional DISH, your goal was to read and report on every bill introduced into it Congress. Was. Why did you back off of that? Well, it turns out that it was impossible. So what I thought I could do, because I've been learning out loud about Congress this whole time. So for the first two years, I figured I would learn by doing. And my goal was to read every bill that passed the House of Representatives. And for two years, I did, which was awful. Um, I had no life outside of work. It was It was really hard. But what I wanted to do originally was look at the schedule and say, this is what they're voting on this week read the bills that are on the schedule, put out an episode so that you could hopefully listen to the episode and then make a call to your representative and say, this is how I want them to vote. But it turns out the schedules are very rarely correct. They change them all the time. And sometimes these bills that are on the schedule are well over a thousand pages long. And so, um, and so many of them are messaging bills, which I learned too, which by that, I mean, these are bills that are not intended to become law. These are bills that are intended to tell the donors we want to help you expand your fossil fuel business or your, you know, take rules away from healthcare insurance companies. Like it's, there's a lot of bills that they just knew at the time because it was a Republican house I was watching during the Obama administration, very similar to what we have going on now. And so I was just watching a lot of bills that it was kind of a waste of my time to read them in that they were never going to become law. Although it's very instructive as to what the parties are attempting to do and who they're attempting to do it for. And so over the last decade that I've been doing this, I've really had to change my strategy with every Congress to try and figure out what bills slash laws I need to focus on because we need to know what changes are affecting our lives and how we can react to this stuff. That's also why I've focused more on the hearings. You know, for example, I did an episode on pharmacy benefit managers, which a lot of Americans are just not aware of their importance in the system. And a lot of Americans are not aware that pharmacy benefit managers, which are kind of like the middlemen between the insurance companies and the pharmaceuticals, they will own insurance companies and pharmaceuticals. And therefore, if you're aware of how that part of the system works, you can actually save a lot of money. Now, this is what they want us to do, but you can save a lot of money by buying your drugs from the pharmacy that is connected to the PBM that is negotiating for your <laughs> insurance company. Like it's the weirdest system, but if you understand it, you can save significant amounts of money. That's the type of stuff that I'm trying to focus on is to find these things that they're hidden in plain sight, but issues that 
if I am to highlight them, can help my listeners in some way. So my strategy has completely changed because I just am aware now of how broken the processes of our Congress are, unfortunately. Sure. And thinking about the impossibility of reading every bill, the Farm Bill is up for reauthorization this year. I know you covered the Farm Bill in 2014. This podcast just released an episode on it in May. The Farm Bill focuses on agriculture and assuring that we have a safe, affordable food supply. But buried in the Farm Bill is a whole pile of money related to rural health issues, such as capital development for rural hospitals. Do you think the average member of Congress knows what's in the average bill before they vote on it? So yes and no. Their staff members will prepare summaries for them. But what I found is there will be extremely long pieces of legislation, which the farm bill is going to be, that the summaries they just leave out a lot or the summaries are written in such a partisan way that they're not helpful. So... Yeah, it depends. It depends on what committee they're on. So if you have a member of representative who is on the committees that are writing the farm bill, they are going to be aware of every word in it. But if your representative is not on that committee, they're probably just going to vote how the leadership tells them to vote. So it really depends on who they are. But for the most part, just knowing how many different hearings happen how they happen in batches. So hearings happen between Tuesday and Thursday, and there'll be 25 of them at a time. There's absolutely no way that these informational hearings are being digested by members of Congress who are also spending a significant portion of their time dialing for dollars. I just think that it's impossible for them to be fully aware of what are in these bills and laws. And the Farm Bill is a really good example of that because it is, it's governing things that you wouldn't expect which is how things are able to get slipped in. So I guess my answer is no. <laughs> well, and with that, you know, Congress votes on topics related to armed forces, banking, transportation, the environment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Senate has 24 different committees on different aspects of how our country is run. If you look at just one committee, the one I refer to most is the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, often referred to as the HELP Committee. How could someone be an expert in every topic within the HELP Committee and make an informed vote, much less every area of the government? Well, so that's kind of why we have the committee system. The idea being that you get put on a couple of committees and it's your job to craft really good legislation. And then there's an element of trust outside of that. And the staff, I don't think that people quite appreciate how important the staff members are because it's their job to educate their members of Congress. And so if Congress was working correctly and these bills were coming out of committees carefully crafted, I think it'd be a lot more comfortable with the system. However, our Congress functions a lot of the time in a somewhat emergency mode. So instead of these bills being carefully crafted, you will end up with bills that appear kind of at the last minute that are negotiated by leadership. And the rest of the members of Congress are kind of told your choice is to vote up or down. And there's no choice for or there's no path for amendments. Um, 
I see that way too often because the way the process is supposed to work is they're supposed to have these carefully crafted bills in committee and then they go to the house floor where they're amended and it's supposed to go back and forth and take a really long time. But when they're not done until the very last minute, which is another, I mean, they've been working on the farm bill for a while in the committee. That's actually not the worst process I've ever seen when it comes to the farm bill. But we are being set up for another situation where it's going to come right up to the deadline and that really benefits the people that are slipping things in there. Um, it benefits those that are, you know, changing the crop insurance system to be more beneficial to multi or multinational corporations in a way that a lot of times hurts the farmers that are supplying these corporations. Having less time at the end of the process to tear the bill apart and to really understand it, it benefits those that are working on behalf of companies. And so even though the process is horrible for us taxpayers, it's purposeful in Congress. So, and, and so, so it's, it's hard for me because I look at the way the system was designed and if we had people operating in good faith up there, it could work well, but that's really important. You need to have statesmen who want it to work. And I just don't think that's what we have at this moment. So I don't know if that exactly answers your question. No, absolutely. Um, I think that's a great perspective. You know, you mentioned talking to the staffers and the work that the, that the congressional staff do. You know, anytime I talk to folks about rural health advocacy, I tell them to develop relationships with those congressional staff members. You know, every single staff member is assigned to one or more topics that they need to really dig in and focus on. All you have to do is call the member of Congress's office, say, hey, who's the person in charge of you know, whatever your passion is, foreign relations, health care, economics, environment, it doesn't matter. Someone in that office is assigned to do that. And there's a formula for how their email addresses work. So once you know their name, you know their email address. So, And I'll put this in the, in the show notes so people can find it. So, for example, if you worked for Tim Kaine, without even looking, I know that your email address would be Jennifer underline Briney at Kane.Senate.gov. Piece of cake. And that mm -hmm. way you can contact them and, and see what's going on and really develop a relationship. It's, it's essential. It is. And I actually got some more information about how to be the most effective in lobbying your Congress as an individual, because I host another podcast now called We're Not Wrong. And one of my co-hosts, Andrew Heaton, used to work up on Capitol Hill. And then we also have some uh, moles in Congress that like to give us information. And so we got some really useful information that Andrew backed up as true, where he said that the people that actually physically come into the offices those are the the relationships that it's it's just like human nature, right? Like you meet someone in person, they present themselves well, especially if you have expertise in an area, so that when those staffers end up in the room where they're discussing where they're going to go with the policies or how they're going to vote, you want your voice to be the one that's in that person's head. You want to establish yourself as a trusted resource. And he told me sometimes they'll even reach out to these constituents who have proven themselves to be knowledgeable for help in those areas. And so if you can be one of those people that becomes kind of a part of the team, which is so possible, like, I guess for me, I didn't realize how possible that was, but they know that they can't be experts on every topic. And so if you present yourself as someone who is knowledgeable and willing to help, the staff will listen to you and will lean on you. And so I, I think that we 
we need to show up in person more often. And it's not that hard. You don't have to go to DC for this. There are offices in your community that you can go to. And that is actually the most effective way to have your voice be heard. Yep. Every member of Congress has regional offices and there is a staff member assigned to that office. And half the time they are bored because people don't realize <laughs> yes. that they can just make an appointment and go in. And so you, you can develop a relationship and let them know how a given piece of legislation could help or hurt your personal situation. That's good information for any member of Congress. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, thinking back to what you said about the difference between politics and governance, I find that very few people know what happens in Congress. Should they be paying closer attention to what happens in D.C.? Yes, 100 percent. Yes, because it affects you. And I think that's what people don't quite understand is like this affects how much money you take home. This affects how much money you have to pay out of pocket for services that in other countries are provided in return for tax monies and it were pro for provided in return for tax money at similar rates to what we pay. I think that's another thing Americans don't quite appreciate that we are not taxed very low. We're just not getting much in return because we spend, a, we have a lot of wasted money and a lot of money goes to war in our country. So, um, and especially, I mean, we're talking about healthcare here. Our system is considered ridiculous. I'm a, a digital nomad, which means that I work and live around the world. I've spent a lot of time in Europe. And people are absolutely dumbfounded that we allow our system to be privatized to the extent that it is. Most people consider government services that are essential to be on st standby for everyone, like doctors and <laughs> emergency rooms. Um, they consider that to be something that should be provided by taxes. We are very much outliers in that respect. These are the types of things that like you can go bankrupt if you get sick in this country. Like what affects you more than that? And so you need to know what Congress is doing and the changes they're going to make because it can help or hurt you. And I'm so fascinated by the focus in this country being on politics instead of government. I think it's a big mistake. And I think it's on purpose because they can kind of do whatever they want if we're not paying attention. Um, so I'm one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is even though it's still so small. I mean, I don't know how big of a difference I can possibly make with a podcast, but I just wanted to spend my time focusing on what I think needs to be focused on because um, we have a lot of punditry out there. And what we really need is reporting on, on actual legislation. Right. And so, for example, a bill currently being considered by Congress is the Rural Health Clinic Burden Reduction Act. If passed into law, it would provide relief to rural health clinics from outdated staffing and laboratory requirements that made sense in 1977 when rural health clinic legislation was created, but they don't any longer because things in medicine have changed. So if you want, listener, your local rural health clinic to be able to operate in an efficient manner that meets modern medical guidelines, you can call your congressional office and ask them to support the Rural Health Clinic Burden Reduction Act which means that your actions could have a direct benefit on health care is provided in their community. But Jen, how do, how do people know to do that unless there is someone in D.C. feeding them information? How do people learn more about what Congress does? That's the hard part. I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to do this job, actually, because that's really hard. I pay attention to committees I do watch hearings to find this stuff out. But I mean, 
obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, rural health is something you're interested in. So I mean, paying attention to the specific committees in charge of what you're interested in, that's helpful because you can see what bills they're working on. Because a lot of times you'll see a bill like that one, um, and it might not make it into law on its own, but you will see these smaller bills get attached to government funding. So government funding has to happen by September 30th every year. It hasn't happened in well over two decades. Instead, what's always done right before Christmas in this emergency situation. And so a lot of things get attached to that because the president has to sign it. Now, sometimes that's bad things, but sometimes it's good things. And so I think it's important if you know of this small bill, especially if like no one's paying attention to it. So something like the Inflation Reduction Act, which is what they were labeling it, Build Back Better. um, There's going to be a lot of calls about that, right? But these more minor bills, the staff member might not even be aware that this is something that is coming or something that you're interested in. So on these smaller bills, your voice can actually have an outsized impact because when they look at is there support for this or not, if only five people have called, but all five say they want it, well, that's 100% of constituents as far as their tally is concerned. So it really does take some grunt work, unfortunately, because even my favorite journalists in DC, my favorite one is Jamie Dupree. He used to be on the radio, he lost his voice, and so now he does a fabulous newsletter. I get it every single morning. And he'll give me a summary of what's happening in Congress. But Congress, like you said, legislates so many things that to get into the details, you kind of have to dig in and find the details yourself. I wish I had an easier answer for you, but that's just the sad reality that we're in right now. Hmm. Well, And certainly something that people can do is if there's a, a particular topic they're passionate about, join an advocacy group. You know, For me, the National Rural Health Association um, feeds me information about what's going on in Capitol Hill. But no matter what your interest or passion is, there is some group out there uh, with people on the ground in D.C. trying to keep track of what's going on, and they will send you emails and whatever else to let you know, hey, this is the time to talk to Congress about X, Y, or Z. Yeah, those emails are important because I'm not much of a joiner because I don't want anyone else speaking for me. But I will sign up for their newsletters because that is a really good way to get information about the stuff they find important. And if your priorities match theirs, then that's that's an excellent idea. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Now, aside from soundbite clips, I find that the media pays very little attention to how government operates why not? You know, there's lots of hype about elections. Why do we know more about the process of getting a job in Congress than what the members of Congress actually do once they have the job? I wish I understood that. I don't know, because I obviously find it more fascinating to talk about what they do. I think politics is more juicy and a lot easier. Like if you're If you have to wake up in the morning and do a story, is it easier to just say, well, he said this and she said this, or is it easier to read a bill? (laughs) I can tell you it's a lot easier to do politics. To report on personalities and scandal and, you know, who's collecting the most money, I think there's a laziness there that I think that's a factor. But like, I, yeah, I wish I, I wish I understood it because I think it's, I think it's awful. Like, I I guess I'm just not the person to ask for that because I do cover the government. I don't understand. I don't understand because I find that there are so many stories 
hidden in these bills and especially these hearings. And they're so fascinating. And I learned so much. And like, I don't understand why journalists aren't going for this low hanging fruit. I don't know. But I also, I think I'm good at my job because I don't have DC bubble brain. So whatever is going on there, like I wouldn't understand. I'm just a taxpayer living my life all over the United States and the world. So I understand the perspective of the taxpayer where I think they are in a clique up there where there are norms that seem weird to us. But in DC, things just work different. And I'm not a part of that. Something that our podcasts have in common is that we don't have advertising. The Rural Health Voice doesn't have ads in our feed because we provide this as a service, but your podcast is your business. Why don't you accept ads? It's because I don't want to have any company influencing me either directly or even indirectly in what I tell people. For example, there was a time where I had a store up and I was taking money from Amazon and it wasn't an overt thing. They weren't like sponsoring the show, but if there was something that made me like they, there was a hearing that was all about Amazon doing something terrible, I might have been incentivized to just not pick that topic. So I think there's sins of omission that happen when you're corporately sponsored. And I just didn't want to have any kind of dependence on any company. And I, I also didn't want to make it so that any company could pull the rug out from under me. So instead, I fund the podcast with, it's bas- it's listener supported. People pay whatever they think is fair. It ranges from a dollar an episode to $500 an episode. Like it's, it's a huge range, but it's 100% voluntary. And if someone gets mad at me, even the highest donor, they're not going to break my bank or my show. So I can really say whatever I want to, because I have found that there are companies that would hate what I had to say, like um, the one that comes to mind, Soresto. I bring this up as much as I can, but Soresto sells flea and tick collars for dogs and cats. And there is all kinds of evidence that those collars, because of the, the mix, they use two safe chemicals, but when you mix them, apparently there might not be all that safe. And there's all kinds of reports of dogs and cats dying from these things. And there was a whole investigation about it in the last Congress when the Democrats were in control and they actually cared. Um, The Republicans killed the investigation. But I did a whole episode about Soresto. And so you would imagine that if I was sponsored by Soresto, I never could have done that. And I never know which company it's going to be. And so I just didn't want to have that corporate influence. I think that a lot of the reasons we don't hear about these things in Congress is because of who sponsors our news. So like next time you watch cable news, watch the commercials and just keep in mind that they're paying for the people that are telling you the news. So when you see commercials for Raytheon and Boeing, which one of us are buying a jet? Like, no, not me. (laughs) No one. Like there's no consumer that is buying a jet but they are still advertising on these channels and that is incentive for these companies, whether it's they're aware of it or not, to not tell us stories about how these same exact companies are price gouging us to the tune of billions and billions of dollars a year for war equipment. Also look at all the pharmaceutical commercials. Like they are sponsoring the news. They are the customers. We are not the customers. I think by passing on all advertising opportunities, it ensures that my listeners fellow taxpayers are my customers as opposed to companies paying me and being my customers. Well, I have one last question and it's a question that I ask every guest and I'm very interested to see how you answer it because unlike my guests, you're outside of both rural and health. So (laughs) Jennifer Briney, if you could do anything 
what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? I would eliminate insurance companies as the middlemen in our system. A hundred percent. We don't need them to be administrating the payment, deciding who gets care and who doesn't. I think it's, and that's obviously not just a rural thing. That's something that would benefit all Americans. Because the more I learn about this system, the insurance companies are just leeches. (laughs) So yeah, I would get rid of them entirely. Well, thank you so much, Jen. We appreciate you joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. That's Jennifer Briney from the Congressional Dish Podcast. Check the show notes for links to her podcasts, as well as information about rural health bills in Congress and how you can support those bills. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association.